you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble falling asleep, trouble getting to sleep, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it. Tonight's Game of Drones, our Game of Thrones-themed sleep podcast, where we talk about Game of Thrones and we break down episodes and stuff, but all you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights and press play. We're going to do the rest. What, what, what is the rest? What am, I, what, what am I getting at? Where are we going? Basically, we're going to create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's running through your brain, racing thoughts, worries, concerns, strategic maneuvering, future quandaries, thought experiments. I don't know who invented those thought experiments, but those do not go hand in hand with a restful night of, uh, you know, going off to dreamland. What we're going to do here, why, why I say it's a safe place, I'm going to... Uh, we're going to strike up a little uh, imaginary campfire, the two of us here. Just listen to my voice. And then my call over, you know, thought experiment, come on over. We're, we're having a little campfire. Uh, you know, worry work, come on over. Come on over. Hey, yeah, we got a campfire going here. You, um, uh, incredibly, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're angry one, come on over. It's okay you're angry. Come on, there's room for you at the fire here. Yeah, you, all, all those other thoughts that run around your brain, come on, gather around. Look at that fire. It's uh, so distracting and mesmerizing. And uh, excuse me, I'm going to talk to this person here. So, yeah, that, they're watching the fire. All your thoughts are watching the fire. Uh, and uh, my story, my discussion at Game of Thrones is going to be like that fire. It's going to catch their attention. And you can watch the fire, you know, see what you see in there, imagine it, be relaxed, crackling, uh, you know, randomly, you know, flaming up and flaming down in a safe, safe way. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about a Game of Thrones episode. we we'll give it a rundown. It's going to be like, well, I said this, and then there was like a horse and a horse horseshoes. And then I'm going to discuss stuff about what's up with those how do you put a horseshoe on anyway? That's actually a good question. I don't know. I say, are they, you know, you know, what do horses think about horseshoes? Wait a second, I don't even know what a horseshoe does. That'll be, that's like what we do here. So first part, episode discussion. Second part, stuff that came up in Game of Thrones like horseshoes. What are the rules of horseshoes? I'm not talking about horseshoes tonight. I guess I got it on the brain. But that's an, uh, you know, an example. Uh, and then after that, we'll talk about, you know, after we do enough of that, if you're still awake by some strange chance, we'll uh, have a visit from Sir Pounce and Tom. And, and then I'll pray to the gods old and new. All told, we'll be here about an hour and a half, two hours. And, you know, it's just, just a little fire. I'll be tending the fire, telling the tales, the, the parts of your brain that are concerned and worried. They'll listen. You can lie back just on the edge of the fire, the warm, where it's just the right temperature, and you can drift off into sleep whenever you feel like it. That's what we're here for, to help you fall asleep. I hope it helps. We're on the web, www.sleepwithmepodcast.com. You can, Game of Thrones, uh, Game of Drones, Thrones episodes are at sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones. Emails, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. I might have said that instead of the website. On Twitter, if you want to get a hold of me, it's Dearest Scooter. On Facebook, you can comment on the website. Any any form of communication is fine. 
We have a post office box, so if you want to send us a self-addressed stamped envelope, uh, I'll send you. If you want to send us a self-addressed uh, self-addressed stamped envelope, I'll send you three pages of outlines from the show. Just go to sleepwithmepodcast.com/sase. It'll be like taking part in something. I don't know. I remember self-addressed stamped envelopes in game shows. I'm not exactly sure what one had to do with the other. But yeah, if you want to try that out, you're more than welcome to. And if you want to help out the podcast, one listener, an initiative, which I'll probably talk about in the thank yous. But, uh, you know, just let one person know about the podcast that needs it. If you guys, uh, you know, bring one person in, you know, podcasts are going to do just great. Thanks for being here. I hope I help you fall asleep. Okay, it's uh, time for Crone, sweet, sweet Crone, Miller, Smith, Barkey, Jester. It's time for me. Uh, I'm walking the path of uh, thankfulness. I want to thank you for Chris Posty Posterson, who does our music. Sounds like in your full podcast. Uh, Sir Scott and Lady Jennifer, who charge the artwork. The regular warden lady of the podcast, the defrenestrator. It's been a busy week, guys. Lots to be thankful for. Silvertone was a high activity. He was singing this. He's singing, well, he might have been singing Friday and Saturday night, but I want to thank a lot of new people and regular, you know, current people. Maya, Andy, Roxy Hart, Fat Kebab, Nadinger Titus, Nadinger Titus. Silent G, I think. Nadinger Titus. Uh, Matthew from, uh, he heard us on the Love of Podcast from Tyler. Betty for another wonderful email. Nancy, Kathy C. Laura, Mary, Patty, Lori. That's Laura and Lori, Mary, Patty, Vanessa, Marcy. Sarah H., just one of the first of many Sarahs to be thanked. I think Kelly, perhaps Virginia, Julie, Chris, Faye, my buddy, Grant, Sarah C. I don't know if I got everybody's little Laura B. That's another Laura. Laura B.'s brother-in-law, who's a real hero. I don't want to talk out of school, but I hope we help him fall asleep. Goodring and Sandy, Mike, Nick, Cheryl, Carly, Arlie, Joanne, Paula, Justin, John. Kelly, number two, Chevy, Kylon, Kalyon, Kalyon, Andy, Chelsea, Valerie. I want to say hi to Hannah over at PodClear. I met her at the uh, Podcasters Meetup. iTunes reviews. We got a lot of great iTunes reviews. Uh, Bunny Valentine, my, my little Bunny Valentine, says it really works. Try a pillow speaker. Thanks for keeping me company. I recommend a, p- a pillow speaker if someone's not snoring or if the person snoring doesn't want to hear it. They found one on uh, eBay for 20 bucks. It's a great, uh, it works great, great for couples who have different seat sleep patterns. And she, she or he, and they, and they like the uh, perm story. Uh, Freaky Deke has been listening since November. They fall asleep in about 20 to 30 minutes since fifth grade, so insomnia sufferer. So that's great that uh, you're getting you to sleep faster than uh, about 20 from 20 to 30 minutes down from an hour to three hours. 
Wow, that's rough. Um, and we can get get that person back to sleep, Freaky Deek. Uh, it says our uh, sidetrack-laden dialogue mimics the weird asynchronous random nature of dreams. Trinks your brain into actually thinking it is a dream. Thank you. Glittering insanity, how am I just finding this? Thank you. Discerning user says we're the best and zzz. CW Jazz Music, I think I know who that is. That's we're the greatest ever, ever, ever. Thank you, CW, a.k.a. Silvertone. And then OMG from The Boil Factor. Uh, and they say, wow, wife and I use it nightly. Mildly put you to sleep. Now, I don't know if this is uh, Susan Boyle or uh, who's that Boyle? Uh, Danny Boyle. That'd be another. But I was thinking of Peter Boyle. I don't know. Is he still with us? So it could be any of those people. Uh, it could be a non-famous uh, Boyle. The Boyles. It's from the Boyles. And that's oh, And I love the just regular Boyles. Well, with a, a Y, uh, 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 B-O-Y-L-E-S, not uh, Boyles. Well, I boil my tea. So, But thank you all for your support. Thank you for the reviews, the wonderful posts on Facebook and Twitter and the emails and the comments. Uh, the support is is exactly what I need. So, you know, this is a is – can I use asynchronous here? I don't know. All right, let's get on to the show. So we're talking about Episode 5, Season 3, Episode 5, Touched by Fire. Uh, this will come out, what, the first week of March? And we have, so this will be five. So that means there's five episodes left. So it'll be second week of March, third week of March, fourth week of March. So second week of April will be this, I think that's I think that's when Game of Thrones starts. But yeah, let's talk uh, Touched by Fire. Uh, it starts out with the uh, brother of Lord of Light, defend us, show us the truth. Give us wisdom, for the night is dark and full of terrors. And then you get this, like, flame-on-sword situation from, uh, what's his name, uh, Sir Miros. Is that his name? Someone. No, no, that's the other guy. Don, 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 Dondrick Barbare. Uh, I'll think of it. It'll come to me. Dondarian, something Dondrick Barbarian is what I wanted to call him. He says, flame-on, sword goes flame. He had fiery blood or uh, blood that was, like, able to turn into fire. She, at some point, his shield goes up in flames. People think the uh, Himiki's fight and the Hound, by the way. Sorry about that. And it's a pretty good fight scene. And then Hound looks like he's lost to the advantage. People start chanting, guilty, guilty, guilty. Sword gets broken. Some word I can't read. It looks like Rudad. And then it says, burn in hell. And then uh, someone says, he will, but not today. And I think it's somewhere in there. Uh, uh, Dondrick Barbarian? No, Don Dondarian. Uh, how beats him, and then he gets brought back to life by uh, Jeff Daniels and William Hurt and Jeff Bridges' son. And... Uh, uh, Arya's like, well, this is crazy. And I think she tries to fight the hound. Maybe that's what it said. Re, Ren, Rendu, Rendode, Rewurudu. I don't know what it says, but uh, then we're out uh, in the north preparing for the climb. 
They're talking about the patrols on the walls, and they don't trust Jon Snow. They're like, how many men are at the castle, or how many castles are manned? The guy from the office, the old Mackenzie uh, from the office, the original office, he's a troublemaker. They talk about the patrols, how often they go out. How many castles are guarding the wall? Nineteen castles, three are manned. I like Jon Snow. He's like, he kind of talks out of his, he says, Castle Black, uh, East Watch by the Sea and Shadow Tower. And he says there's like a thousand men left to defend the castle. They don't buy that. And then uh, at some point, uh, Igri is sticking up for him, and then they leave. And he's like, I don't need you to protect me. She says, of course you do. And then she says, you owe me a debt. And he, she steals his sword. She says, you want it? Steal it back. And he says, a great seven hells. And she says, it's time you uh, proved yourself. He says, a great. She says, you swore your, some vows. I want you to break them. And then next thing you know, it's like the music would have started if it was an adult film because she shows him her naked body and and then, uh, you know, they embrace and he kisses her. The first kiss, he kind of jumps. And then there's like a love song plays. They have, you know, they they make sweet love. They they kind of talk, discuss the world's sex a little bit. Then they use the word a maid for a virgin, a virgin. And she talks about how line from the episode, she slept with a guy. She says, he had red hair like me, kissed by fire, but he was weak, not like you. And then they kind of, you know, have a little more romance. Then we're back at the Brotherhood, and they're stealing the hounds of gold. He says, what are you doing, stealing gold? He's like, we're outlaws. What do you think we're doing? And then uh, Dondrick, Don Darian? Barrick. Barrick's his first name, I think. Barrick Don Darian. He says, uh, go in peace, Sandor Clegane. Uh, the Lord of Light isn't done with you yet. And then uh, we're at, uh, somewhere where Lord Bolton is, I think, Harrenhal. And they show up with Jamie and uh, who's that guy's name? I forgot his name already. The jerky guy. And Brienne. And he says, uh, Lord Bolton, I give you the Kingslayer. And he pushes him down. He says he's lost a hand. He said, well, you know, what are you thinking? And then there's a lovely scene where you see first time another. This is kind of a Jamie Lannister season. This is a Jamie Lannister episode, no doubt about it. You see his face and he says, uh, Lord Bolton is a word. Lord Bolton is a word from the Capitol. And then Bolton plays with him a little bit. But you can see Jamie is terrified to find out what happened to his sister. So he really tortures him a little bit mentally or emotionally, and he says, your sister's fine. And then he says, take Jamie to Kyburn, Master Kyburn, to take take care of him. And then Kyburn and Jamie are discussing his treatment. And Jamie's like, just take i I'm not losing any more of my arm. Just, you know, take care of this. He says, the corruption is spread. And Jamie says, you're no maester. Where's your chain? He says, the Citadel stripped me of it. They found some of my experiments too bold. And then Jamie doesn't want any uh, pain meds. And then we have Cersei talking to Baelish, and she's like, uh, has, she says she doesn't believe Tyrells hold the crown's best interests at heart. So uh, she wants some proof uh, that, uh, you know, they're doing bad. And she says, uh, he says, did you run this by Tywin? She goes, my father wants, appreciates facts. Jamie, or, uh, 
Baelish says, uh, myself, I find those a hindrance. And she says, you best get this done. Not like last time. And on the next scene, we have Podrick serving Oleana and uh, Tyrion. And they're talking about the financial matters related to the royal wedding. And also, she says, uh, give me some figs. I always eat figs in the middle of the day. They're good for my bowels. And then they talk about, you know, the wedding is a distraction. And Tyrion's like, well, we're at war. You know, we can't afford to do this. And she's like, you know how much the Tyrells have done for you guys, and now you're asking us for money? And she says, we, we you know, this wedding will, will distract the people from our problems. You know, otherwise they're going to turn on turn on us. And she she says, we'll pay for half. And then she says, I told you, I was told you were a, a drunk, uh, uh, thoroughly debauched. And she said, you know, can you imagine how disappointed I was when I just find a browbeaten bookkeeper? And then we have a cute little scene with Arya and, uh, you know, that guy, the, the, the tall, handsome guy she likes. And he's mending Lord Beric's armor. And she says, I'm going to stay and be the armorer. And she says, you don't have to stay. And he says, uh, no, I want to stay. And she says, the Lannisters are going to come get these guys. And he says, they need good men. She says, Rob needs men. He goes, what am I going to serve, Rob? I've served men my whole life. You know, I served the armorer, the guy at King's Landing. He sent me to the watch. I served Tywin. He said, I don't want to serve anymore. You know, I want to join. This is a brotherhood. They're family. I've never had any family. This is when you get a little twinge of heart because she says, I could be your family. But he's more of like a, a teen, late teen. I mean, as far as maturity goes, he's kind of like already become a man, I think. And she's kind of still a, seems like a, a tween to me. But he, she says, you know, I'll be your family. And he said, you wouldn't be my family. You'd be my lady. And it's a very cute scene. Then you hear some sword fighting, and something happens with those Lannister kids. And they bring in Karstark, and he's seeking vengeance, and he's disrespecting Rob. And then Rob's really in a tough position here, because he has to deal with this Karstark, and, and all these people giving him trouble. And he, he, there's no way he can win at this point with, with this decision as far as like uh, making a right choice, it seems. But then we have another scene after that. It's beautiful, beautifully shot scene with Rob and Karstark and the rain. Just lovely, lovely. I mean, not a pleasant scene to watch, but pleasantly shot. And then we have uh, uh, something I really like really quick. It's uh, Arya saying her ma uh, mantra, and she says Sir Marin, so cute. It's so She says Sir Marin, like, kind of like I imagine Sir Pounce would say it, uh, Sir Marin. It was just the cutest thing ever. And Arya is cat-like in both her reflexes and her, like, in a good way. I'm not saying she's, you know, she's like a, a, a cool cat. And then Thoros is talking about taking Arya to her family to trade her for a donation for the Brotherhood. And she's like, you guys are sellouts. And then they talk about Beric. And this guy, Barrick, he has got some sweet tones on him. He should have a sleep podcast, I tell you that, I tell you what. But they have, I really like this brotherhood, and I hope they see him in season five because it's really just interesting. 
Listen to the three of them chat about his revival and the friendship between Thoris and Barrick. But this Barrick guy, I don't know what the hell battles he should be fighting. He can't, he means he's got as many lives as a cat, but like, dude, none of the other guys, I mean, what the hell you do? If you can't fight without getting uh, killed, uh, you probably shouldn't be fighting. No offense. I mean, geez. And then they talk about how much they all love Ned Stark. Then we have a scene with a woman who turns out to be Stannis' wife. She's praying over the flames. Stannis, like, spill, tries to um, relieve his heavy heart of cheating on her. But she's like, I know you're uh, in cahoots with the the red woman. I want you to be. Like, I'm in cahoots with this god, too. And if cheating on me is the way to create demon children to, you know, instill evil in the world, which we're confused and think is good. That's fine with me, honey. And then he says, well, you're kind of a lunatic, and Lady Melisandre is quite fetching. But she's like, you know, well, he says, I'm not that great at decision-making. Can I just see my daughter? And she says, you should, your daughter's a distraction. And then we meet Stance's daughter, a lovely, lovely young, young child, singing, Reading reminds me of myself. Uh, uh, you know, I didn't wasn't I don't have dragon scales or whatever's going on with her, but she's up in her room and then she talks about. Uh, she says, "Hey, Dad, where's the Onion Knight?" Oh, she says, "Hey, Dad, did the Onion Knight? Did you win?" He says, "No." Did the Onion Knight come back with you? Uh, he said he would bring me a present from the capital. He's my friend, so cute. And Stannis, he said, "Uh." Sir Davos is a traitor. You better forget him. And she's like, look at the little ship he gave me. And he just, you know, Davos is the best. And then we have Brienne taking a tubby. And then Jamie comes in. He's like, I'm going to take a tubby. And she she kind of, he tries to, like, use his nudity as an aggression against Brienne. I sense or to make her uncomfortable. And he's kind of mean to her again. And then she says, uh, you know, whatever. And, uh. She says, don't you mock me. And he's like, I'm trying to apologize. Let's call Let's call a truce. She says, you need to have trust to have a truce. And he says, I trust you. And then she gives him a look, and he, he says this uh, a great monologue, I guess. Uh, he says, uh, you know, I've seen this on everybody's face for the past 17 years. Everyone despises me. Kingslayer, Oathbreaker, Man Without Honor. And then he talks about how mad the Mad King was and the horrible things he had planned and how he tried to intervene and keep it. And also uh, how horrible his father is because uh, Grandmeister, I think, because I think he wanted to just keep uh, Tywin out of the city till Baratheon got there. I'm not sure about this. And then Tywin comes in, and the Pycelle lets Tywin in. He sacks the city, drives the Mad King doubly mad. And Jamie's like, I had to take him out. He was a lunatic. He was going to burn the city, burn everybody. He wanted me to take my father out, which just wasn't realistic. But he says uh, at the end, he says, uh, you know, he said burn them all. He said, I don't think he thought he was going to die. I think he thought he was like a phoenix. He was going to rise again, like reborn as a dragon. And so he said, I had to take him out. And then Brienne's like, wait, maybe you are a man with honor. Why, you know, but we don't, I don't know. Can we trust Jamie? He's a good storyteller, handsome man. But can we trust what he's saying? I'm not so sure about that. But it's a great story. And then Jamie faints. And then we have the Onion Knight down in his cell. 
and uh, Tywin's daughter, uh, yeah, and then Stannis's daughter comes down to visit him. And he says, hi, princess. He's so nice. He says, what are you doing down here? She says, don't wake Bert the guard. He's, you know, he's drunk, so we can have some time together. I brought you a book. He's like, I can't read. She's like, oh, she's the best. She's like, I'll teach you. And she's like, my dad said you were a traitor. He says, I am. Onion night, man. Said, I'm paying the price for disobeying your dad. But she says, I don't care. You're my friend. Talk about being touched by a light. This is a, you know. And she, he says, you can't teach me to read the lock. She's like, what are they going to do, block us in cells? And she says, let's start at the beginning. And then she talks about Aegon, uh, which is interesting. Uh, the book is Aegon's History, The Conquering of Westeros. And then you have Jorah and uh, Sir Jorah and Barristan Selm, Sir Barristan talking. And they're talking about Thoros Amir's flaming sword. But wait, Barrick had the flaming sword. Anyway, well, either way. And he talks about how he's so proud. Uh, and then um, Sir Sir Jorah, and then it was the proudest moments of his life. And then, he, uh, you know, it went all the way downhill from there. And they're also kind of talking undertone since Sir Jorah is a bit of a traitor uh, to the Khaleesi. Uh, they, uh, Sir Barristan talks about wanting to serve. Who, who are you going to serve? That seems to be one of the things in this episode. And he's like, I want to serve a worthy leader, not just some king who's bossing people around. And she's she's the one we can believe in, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we can believe in her. And then we have Khaleesi uh, choosing, like having the uh, Unsullied choose their own leader. And they choose this guy called Grey Worm, which is easy. He seems like a great, great guy. And then the Khaleesi is like, why don't you pick your own name? He's like, this is my name. This is the name, you know, when I got my freedom from Daenerys Stormborn. So this is the name I love. Any names in the past are in the past. And then we have another scene with Barristan and uh, uh, Jorah. And Jorah's trying to figure out if he's going to get caught. And then they kind of have a showdown of who's, you know, who the subject mine is. And then Barristan's like, well, I know how to use mine better. And then so Jorah's like, I'm lying. Mine's not that big, but I know how to use mine too, kind of thing. And then uh, they're like, Jorah's like, I was here first and Khaleesi's in charge uh, or something. I don't know, the two scenes, you got to watch it, I guess. And then we're back with Rob and he's talking to his wife and he says, uh, we're screwed. Karstarks are gone. What are we going to do? And then he has one of those moments where you're about to go to bed and hint. And you take a moment of uh, you're, you're overwhelmed, but then your brain, your thinking brain shuts down. And you have a, it's not intuitive. There's some sort of uh, fancy word for it that I can't think of. But he has it. And then he's like, wait a second. What if we attack King's Landing? And she's like, well, where are you going to get the people? And he's like, oh, well, let's see. I could uh, go go ask the guy uh, Walter Frey. It would be the we, if we get his men, we could go do it. We could take it over. You know, we'll go capture their homeland, Casterly Rock. And then we have a scene with Sansa and Marjorie watching Loras fight, and then Loras and the Squire hooking up. Uh, that services him, and I think they're whispering a couple of secrets to each other. And then, boom, it turns out the uh, squire is a spy for Baelish. 
and he gives him what he needs to know about uh, Sansa. So then Baelish is uh, acting weird with Sansa again. He says, uh, uh, he has a good line. She might not be the grandest ship in the world or the fastest, but she's mine. I've always wanted a ship. Now I want a dozen. He says, strange. Doesn't matter what we want. Once we get it, we want something else. Then he talks about it. He says, hey, I like your hair. She said, well, I'm doing it like Marjorie or something. And she says, I don't know if I want to leave. I might be with Marion, you know. I might like it here. And he still says creepy. He's like, well, if you want to stay, you can stay. But he says it like that creepy boyfriend. And then we have another wonderful scene with uh, Circe and Ty- Tyrion. To Circe and Tywin. And then Tyrion shows up late. He's like, sorry, I'm late. And he's like, whoa, Circe's here. What's up with her? And uh, Tywin's like, uh, you know, it, it, it concerns her. And she's smiling. And he's like, well, I got all the, I got half the wedding money from the Tyrell, so I'm doing pretty good. And he's like, we're not going to talk about that. We have something better. He's like, well, I'm master at coin. And he's like, why are you smiling, Cersei? And uh, Tywin's like, well, you know, we heard Loras might marry, uh, uh, what's his name, Tyrell, which Baelish must have told Cersei that. And he says, well, of course, she's, uh, you know, powerful and beautiful. He's like, I know, sir, you know, Loris isn't straight, but it still makes a lot of sense. And Tywin says, you know, there's no jokes. And Tyrion's like, well, it's not my best joke, but come on. And he says, we, you know, this is how they repay us. We need to bring Sansa into our family. She's the key to the north. Rob, we're going to take Rob out. There's no one else, you know, he goes, someone needs to marry her. And he's like, who? And he's like, you. And there's another thing in there. Some At some point they say, uh, there's nothing to refuse. This is a plot. And then someone says, plots aren't public knowledge. And he says, uh, you know, so you're going to marry her. And he says, no, that's mean. That's cruel even for you. And he says, the girl's uh, happiness isn't my concern. He says she's a child, and Cersei's, like, taking her dad's side. And Tywin's basically like, marry her and have a baby, and you'll be king of the north. And he says, what if I refuse? He said, this is your reward. You wanted rewards. You want to be part of the family. This is your duty. Sansa Stark is a finer reward than you could ever hope for, and it's past time you were wed, and it's just sad. And uh, Tyrion... Uh, storms out and his dad's like he's gonna do as I say and you are too Cersei with your smug look she's like what do you mean he's like you're gonna marry Loras she's like I, I'm not and she's like you are and she's like no and he's like you need to stop these uh, horrible rumors about you and Jamie and she says father don't make me do it again please which I didn't understand or something like that and he says not another word and then he says, my children, you've disgraced the Lannister name for too long. And then you're like, wow, this guy really is the worst father in the history of fatherhood, or at least royal father. Well, again, I'm, I mean, being uh, overstating it. But yeah, so that's the end of uh, the episode. So John and Agreet shared a kiss in this episode. Well, I mean, on screen, off screen, they shared many kisses. 
in many chrome cover years in many different places. But uh, it was the first kiss was a little bit awkward, and then I was like, "There's so many, so many songs about kissing and kisses." But then I thought about this podcast, the first episode I ever did of this podcast, which you know uh, shows how far we've come. I guess if you listen to it, I'm not really embarrassed by it. It's just early learning about podcasting, very nervous. But it was about the Hall and Oates song. Um, uh, I don't know, it was a song about codependency, I think. Uh, but I've done this podcast for so long, I can't even remember my first episode. It'll come to me, as I always say. But anyway, there's also a Hall & Oates song called Kisses on My List, which I always thought was Kiss on My Lips. Um, and I mean, you know, I know Hall & Oates are, you know, incredibly successful and I can see both, but it, and I remember so. I mean, this has happened so many times to so many of us. But I said, it's not kisses on my lips. Like, what the hell? That's stupid. On my list. Like, what do you mean? I think I even joked. I've joked about that before, so I don't need to joke about it. But, you know, let's hit these lyrics up, though. And let's dig into it. Uh, my friends wonder why I call you all of the time. What can I say? I don't feel the need to give such secrets away. You think maybe I need help. No, I know I'm right, all right. I'm just better off knowing, not listening to friends' advice. When they insist on blowing my bliss, I tell them this. When they want to know what the reason is, I only smile when alive and tell them why. Because your kiss, your kiss is on my list. Because your kiss, your kiss is on my list. I wish it was on my lips, but it's on my list. Because your kiss, your kiss is on my list of the best things in life. You guys got a best things of life list. Because your kiss, your kiss is on my list. Because your kiss, your kiss, sweet tones of hollow notes is I can't resist. Uh, because your kiss is what I miss. When I turn out the light. See, I always thought it was your kisses on my lips when I turn out the light. Because, that, you know, that would be nice. I go crazy wondering what there is to really see. Did the night just take up... Did, did the night just take up your time? Because it means more to me. Sometimes I forget what I'm doing. I don't forget what I want. I want regret what I've done, regret you, I couldn't go on. But if you insist on blowing my bliss, I'll tell you this. If you want to know the reason why I only smile when I lie, then I'll tell you why. Because your kiss, your kiss is on my list. Because your kiss, your kiss, I can't resist. Oh, no, my list. Because your kiss, your kiss is on my list of the best things in life. Because your kiss, your kiss is on my list because your kiss your kiss i can't resist believe me they're singing in my ears too because your kiss is what i miss when i turn out the lights i really miss uh because your kiss your kiss is on my list it goes on we don't need to uh bury the song but let's read a little bit about it according to wikipedia kisses on my list is sung as we all know by the American duo Hall & Oates, it was written by uh, Daryl Hall and Jana Allen. 
and produced by the duo. So if you want to check out the first episode of this podcast, we talk about uh, their relationship. Uh, I don't know. I haven't listened to that episode in a long time, but I might have to check it out now. It was the third. So I owe a lot. I, we we all as a community owe a lot to Hall and Oates. And I mean, just I mean, bump, 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 bump. I mean, uh, I know some most some of you were born in the '90s. Some of you are you know '80s, and uh, some of you '50s, '60s, '70s were born. Uh, Hall and Oates. You know, I, I don't know. Is anyone born in the 2000s that listens to this podcast? Maybe. I've, I've heard from some younger people before. Oh, yeah, I know there's some 13-year-olds and some 7-year-olds that shouldn't be listening, the 7-year-olds. But, you know, whatever. Parental. I trust parents. Uh, anyway, it was from their third, their ninth studio album, Voices, and became their second uh, Billboard Hot 100 single after Rich Girl. And you know it's who far, and you know it don't matter anyway. Huh. Let's read the next paragraph, buddy. While two other songs from the album had returned to the duo to chart activity, it was the success of Kisses on my list that confirmed the start of the duo's sustained run as one of America's pop's top-selling acts that lasted until 89. According to Daryl Hall, Eddie Van Halen copied the synth part of the song and used it for Jump by Van Halen. Uh, Kisses on my list can be heard in the film She's Out of My League and You Again. It is a popular track for kiss cams at stadiums and arenas. The song is featured on Soft Rock DLC video game, Rocksmith 2014. It was covered by The Bird and the Bee and heard it on the radio, a tribute to Daryl Hall and John Oates. I got to check that out. And uh, Family Crest covered the song for Grey's Anatomy Season 10. And that's it. A little uh, kisses on my. Uh, I mean, whew, there's a lot on both of those two's li- lips. Uh, <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry it had to be said though. Uh, but you know, the kiss, a greet's first kiss was on Jon Snow's lips, and he said, "Whoa, uh, this is wow, uh, this is electric boogie woogie." But I'm sure when they both go separately to their tents, uh, uh, they'll say, oh, I'm going to think I'm going to make a list of the best things in life. And maybe that kiss on my lips will be on there, uh, you know, because it's something neither one of them can resist. And currently it is the best thing in life uh, for them. Currently, that uh, was season three. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Daryl Hall and John Oates. One, for not suing me. Two, for just being wonderful uh, pop, pop uh, crafters of pop music and earworms. And um, I'm literally going to stop recording now. I'm going to eat lunch and I'm going to freaking blast some Hall and motherfucking Oates right now. So I'll, talk, I'll be back for the next segment after lunch. One thing I was curious about watching this episode is when uh, Barrick Dondarian, whose name I now have the ability to pronounce, when he and the Hound fought at Sandor Clegane, uh, you know, I'm on the top of my name game right the second. But when they battled, I was like, okay, I was watching them. They had slightly different styles. This is a question that I didn't answer, but it seems kind of obvious, for instance, We've done research into making of swords. Uh, 
is uh, when the he, uh, the hound. I mean, the hound's a big, powerful dude. He chops Dondarrion's sword in half. Fire. Um, I'm pretty sure it could damage your sh- your sword because I don't know if it can change the carbon content. Maybe it can't. Maybe I'm just talking out. But I remember, you know, shattering and breaking of swords is common for messing up your carbon content or something like that. That was like, you know, hundreds of episodes. Well, not hundreds. That was uh, two swords may have been the episode where we did that research. I'm not sure. That was episode 99. I know that off the top of my head. Maybe. But so I was like, are these guys have different sword fighting styles? And I guess in my fantasy, uh, you know, we'd go uh, similar to the bore down fantasy, and I'd be able to easily research every fighting style. And they would have, you know, this guy. I'm the master of those, you know, those little swords you see in martial arts. The pointy, pointy ones. They got like the long point and then the two points on the side. I don't know what those are called, but there's, uh, you know. But anyway, I, I looked it up. And uh, I, f- I didn't find a plethora. So if anybody's thinking about, I wouldn't start a podcast, Sword Fighting Styles podcast. Hey, uh, we're here to talk. We're here with, uh, what's your name? Uh, Bondarian Derek? Derek Bondarian, right? Come on in. Um, but anyway, I looked this up. I, enough playfulness. Because I said, wait, you know, I don't really know anything about it. I know there's like ninja swords. I know there's samurai swords. I know there's different swords. And I know there's different styles of sword fighting. So I tried to look it up. It, it didn't go perfect, but let's see. I found this article. I haven't read it, so but it sounded uh, interesting. It's over at uh, thearma.org, and that's the Association for Renaissance Martial Arts. Sword fighting is not what you think. It's written by John Clements, C-L-E-M-E-N-T-S. It's a pretty long article, but I liked how it started out, so I said, uh, let's check this out. It says, so, you're sword fighting with medieval and renaissance blades. How to do so, oh, so you are is what he meant. Uh, how do you do so effectively? How do you do so authentically? Well, what it's about is as much a matter of what you don't do as it is a matter of what you do. And in both cases... Virtually everything you think you know is wrong. So John's going to fill us in here. To borrow a famous line, the problem with most people trying to understand the true nature of historical sword combat combat, is not that they're ignorant. It's just they know so much that isn't so. That makes sense. It's amazing, really, how a subject so permeates our modern pop pop culture and is so ubiquitous is one that virtually no one any longer has any real-world experience in, nor pursues it for its original function. The truth is that most all our conceptions of sword fighting get it wrong. Well, not anymore. Me and John are setting this story straight here. Well, people will be asleep for this, but anyway, trying. The reality is not what you think it is. Face it, some readers will get offended if you dare suggest they don't have an accurate conception of sword fighting. Fanboys especially will take it as a personal insult to their very identity when you challenge their assumptions. It's pretty silly, since no one of them relies on this skill for self-preservation, nor makes it their profession. Well, they could be a professional Renaissance sword fighter at Renaissance festivals. I don't know if that's a full... 
uh, majority of their income, but I, you know, they could earn up to, you know, a large percentage. Anyway, uh, plus nearly everyone gets their information. And what about uh, swordmasters, like uh, our buddies that work at Game of Thrones, C.C. Smith? Uh, plus, nearly everyone gets their information and opinions on it from the same essential sources. TV, movies, fantasy literature, video games, cartoons, comic books, dinner theaters, and Ren Faire fight shows. But where do those sources get their notions? Great question. Oh, boy. Here, here we go. Here's our world about to be rocked. Almost entirely from experience with sport fencing, Asian martial arts styles, and pretentious role-playing societies. His words, not mine. Yet all these sources drive their conceptions of it from still earlier ones. And so on and so on. When, where, then, did most of today's ideas on historical sword fighting originate? When we trace it back, we find romantic beliefs about the nature of swordsmanship among knights and cavaliers. Almost all started with ignorant Victorian age prejudices. Fortunately, during the medieval and Renaissance eras, there was produced hundreds of detailed instructional manuals by expert masters of defense. These knights and professional instructors in arms wrote and illustrated immense technical treaties in the, and books on their science of self-defense, intended to pursue per, preserve their secrets or instruct their students and patrons. These little-known works... Some in excess of 600 pages represent time capsules of the actual fighting systems and proven combative disciplines used at the time. Most focused only mo focused mostly on swordsmanship. These handbooks and study guides revealed highly sophisticated combat teachings. Further, their content and presentation is unmatched by modern martial arts literature from around the world, and we have dozens of them. Uh, only recently in the last decade or so has this extraordinary but all but forgotten material finally come to be properly examined and studied. Reconstruction of these remarkable teachings. Okay, we, so this is more... I'm going to try to cut ahead because he's, he's setting up his expertise, I think, here. We, we all... What we do know about sword fighting from the documented historical teachings and methods is that in earnest combat, you don't stand still. The sources specifically tell us to be in constant motion. You don't dance. You don't just dance around. The sources specifically tell us to cover and close in. You don't just parry and repos. I don't know what that is. R I P O S. -A. I mean, I've seen the word, but repos. The sources tell us to specifically not to try and block. You don't attempt to be passive or stay defensive. The sources tell us to be aggressive, audacious, and take the initiative. You don't try to win uh, by just, uh, uh, it's kind of getting confusing here. You seek to displace the adversary's blows with counterstrikes timed in the middle of their actions. You don't just hit out wildly or bash on their weapon. It worked for the hound, though. The sources tell us specifically to intercept and stifle their attacks by binding their weapon and using body leverage. They were both doing that in Game of Thrones. And you don't try to statistically, no, you don't try to statically receive blows on the edge of your own edge, but set them aside with your flat or better still counter hit them with your edge against their flat, even as edges themselves 
will readily clash in closing to bind. And lastly, still, both thrusting and cutting as well as grappling were always recognized as integral components for wielding all sorts and weapons, armored or unarmored, on foot or horseback. The secret to all this, we're told, is not difficult, and it's not a matter of having a repertoire of techniques, nor just good reflexes in coordination with decent conditioning. It's all about knowing and applying a handful of key principles. It's about adversarial perception, timing, distance, leverage, and technique, all used in good martial spirit. Thus, European longswords, arming swords, falchions, rapiers, and gripped and manipulated are gripped and manipulated in vicious ways I can guarantee you you've never seen the likes as any in ways I can guarantee you have never seen the likes of in any cinematic or video game fight scene. How do I know all this? Because it's my job to know. I've been studying historical so- combat for three decades and teaching it for more than ten years. Make my living writing and researching on the subjects and operate the world's only private facility dedicated exclusively to the craft. Okay, so that's his. Uh, I'll link to it in the show notes. I just want to. I want to get to some of the, the gusto here. Uh, from my vantage point, the core, my core assumptions on the topic carry a certain gravitas. There is a little speculation or conjecture. No imagined theories. Okay, despite the many people who now claiming to be studying, the majority don't employ the correct postures. Okay, we need your secrets, though. How are we going to sword fight if you don't reveal us your secrets? It goes without saying that popular culture today, including the closet industry of self-certifying professional stunt fencers, whose job it is to fake fights for movie and television, have no clue what actual bladed combat is really like. Okay, we're getting into repetitive stuff here. No offense, um... It's not as if as if a multitude of disparate opinions and divisive views about sword fighting out there are all somehow part of a larger truth or even anywhere near an emerging consensus. It's more like they represent a near-infinite collection of ignorance, faulty cliches. Okay, I just want, I want to know more about sword fighting styles, though. When you think about it, men-at-arms and members of fighting guilds or schools of defense in the medieval, in medieval and Renaissance areas, were people who, for most of their adults' life, trained with weapons and close combat skills for hours a day, and had done so since youth. It's somewhat preposterous then for modern people dabbling in it once a week, or so, to imagine that after a few years of playing with scraps of information, they have reached a reasonable limit, reasonable fix, simile of forgotten arts, or rather some mild-mannered version for recreation. But this is, in fact, what is mostly done today, whether those doing so admit it or not. In many ways, the truth is reflected, tactically at least, or unconsciously perhaps, tacit, I don't know, tacit, tacitly? I don't know that word either. Um, if it's not a sight word, I can't, uh, you know, uh, in, in the way people rationalize it, fantasize it, sportify it, trivialize it, as opposed to pursuing it out of general, genuine love for history, heritage, and martial spirit, with all the consummate character, virtue, and athleticism that such a discipline depends. It was in 1734 that Baroque fencing, men, fencing master 
Masur La Abbat observed a fundamental truth about the craft, the truth of which holds even more so today. Though there are people of a bad taste in every art or science, there are more in that of fencing than in others. As by way of reason of a little understanding of some teachers as of the key practice of some learners, who not acting upon a good foundation or long enough to have a good idea of it, argue so weakly on this exercise. I have witnessed this countless times in my life. Edge weapons are not pretend lightsabers. They're not springy toys or padded sticks. They are lethal tools for dealing bad things. My, my paraphrase there. Through such skills, they very often find the truth is not somewhere in between differing views, but a matter of either being taught right, but it is a matter of either being right or wrong on the essentials. For in life or death combat, something wrong will get you taken out. There is no middle ground or wiggle room compromise, unless you're Dondrick Barian, Derek Barian, or whatever his name was. Barrick Dondarian. Um, there is no middle ground or wiggle room to compromise in matters of earnest self-defense and things can't be rebutted with a not a. Uh. History is about the big picture, but ultimately insight into it comes into knowing what individuals did. And the reality of sword fighting is far richer. We, we were looking for the reality of sword fighting, far more fascinating than our much-beloved modern fantasy imagines. That's why sword fighting is not what you think. Okay, obviously this guy's very passionate about uh, sword fighting, so we give him that. I feel like I, feel like I got link-baited by sword fighting, though, because I don't feel like the question is sword fighting is not what you think. I guess that's the point you made. I guess he did make that point. You just didn't know. So, I, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to... John, uh, I... Uh, I'm not trying to make fun of you, but I was I guess I was looking for something else. But this is interesting. Your passion is very interesting. It's good. A little bit edgy. I mean, but that's like a pun on swordplay anyway. So that was uh I mean that was sword fighting. We we learned uh there uh, there's another I'll link to the Wikipedia article about sword fighting styles, and maybe one day this will come up again, I hope. So a couple of the, these uh, flaming swords come up because uh, uh, Beric Dondarrion wields one with his fire blood, and then also later in the episode, uh, Sir Jorah and Sir Barristan are talking about Thoros, Thoros of Mir wielding his firing sword, and it made me think about uh, superheroes and how so there's a lot of superheroes with fire powers, you know, pirate powers of fire. So I decided to do that, look it up. So I found some good stuff. This is over at Henchman for Hire, the number four dot com. It's written by Sean Ian Mills, and this is the top six fire themed comic book carriers. And I, 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 I did not know this when I clicked through on this article, but it looks like Sean Ian Mills may be from uh, where I grew up or close by, because he says uh, this is from November twentieth. Doesn't have a year, but uh, Bert, it's getting chilly outside. I don't know the rest, about the rest of you folks, but here in central New York, that's what we call Syracuse. Uh, I mean, that's one of it could be Albany too. It gets cold in the winter and it gets cold fast. I'm going to have to break out the winter coat soon. So, how about we delay the onset of Jack Frost with a little bit of fire? <laughs> 
Hot, sweltering fire is exactly what we need. I tried this once with snow and ice-themed comic book characters, but who wants to think of something like that on a chilly day like today? Let's get roasty toasty with some scorching hot heroes instead. Number six, coming in at number six, Heat Wave slash Firefly. Apparently all it takes to become a supervillain in the DC universe is a little pyromania and a clever way to ignite the stuff. Both Heat Wave and Firefly are normal guys who just went a little nuts and found some creative ways, ways to hurl flames at superheroes. Heat Wave is Mick Rory and he loved fire as a kid. So much so that he created a flamethrowing gun, put on a mask, and decided to become a supervillain. He usually fights the Flash, based almost entirely on proximity, since they're both from the same city. Firefly is a Batman villain, and at least he can fly. Garfield Lins is a bit crazier than McRory, because Gar- Garfield thinks he can see visions in the flame, which fuels his obsession with fire. He originally chose the name Firefly because, I kid you not, Batman one, once mistook a simple Firefly for Lynn's lit cigarette and chased the Firefly away. And chased the Firefly while Lynn's got away. Some world's greatest detective, Lynn's later decided designed a whole suit of armor with fu- the Firefly motif. And now he buzzes around setting buildings on fly- fire as he battles a black Batman. Everybody needs a hobby. And he has pictures in these articles, which are pretty cool. Coming in at number five, top of the charts at number five, Fire Lord. A lord of fire, you say? Well, hot damn. Fire Lord is the alien Pyrus Krill, because the universe loves a good pun. He was chosen by Galactus, a world devourer, to be one of his heralds, and was granted cool fire powers and a flaming staff. Silver Surfer got a surfboard. Fire Lord gets a staff. Like most heralds, Firefly eventually grew tired of the gig and quit, and now he spends his time just being an awesome, powerful, semi-heroic cosmic demigod, which I consider to be a pretty great career path. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, Next up, number four on the chart, Sunfire. Uh, Not all superheroes are nice guys. Some of them, like Sunflower, Sunflower, yeah, that would be a good superhero, Sunflower. Uh, some of them, like Sunfire, are assholes. Shiro Yoshida is a mutant from the X-Men line of comics, and he joined the team alongside Wolverine, Storm, and some of the other more most more popular characters. But Sunflower, Sunflower, oh, dyslexia. But Sunfire didn't stick around for long because, as I said, he's kind of an asshole. He should have reconsidered their offer, though, because Sunfire hasn't done jack squat since. For decades, he was relegated to the back issue, showing up here and there whenever some superhero visited Japan or some new superhero team needed to round out its membership. (laughs) Sunfire, is is there any comic book uh, creators out there? Let's, Let's work together. Sunflower. Yeah, we'll figure it out. You can shoot sunflower seeds. That's one power right there. Uh, for decades, he's been relegated to the back issues, showing up here and there whenever some... Oh, he's been linked with Alpha Flight, Apocalypse, Big Hero 6, and most recently is a member of the Avengers, which will last until a new writer comes along and decides not to bother with Sunfire anymore. But at least I think he's cool. Number three coming in, fire, just straight up fire, straight up fire. That's a little uh, pejorative here. 
Well, this is a, uh, this is a little offensive. So uh, say what you want about this uh, hero. My, my, I'm paraphrasing here. At least Fire thinks outside the box, though she stopped when it came to her superhero name, Beatriz de Costa. Was a Brazilian showgirl and model before becoming a secret agent, like you do. And she got, what? I don't understand. Secret agent, like you do. And she got her powers when she became trapped in something called a pyroplasmic explosion. Why the explosion turned her flames green is anybody's guess, but she flaunts it like nobody's business. Fire and her BFF, Ice, one guess at her powers, joined the Justice League International for a while and mostly kick around the fringes of DCU, despite being both literally hot and legitimately hot. Fire also holds the distinction of being one of the Justice Leaguers to appear in the horrible live-action TV show from 1997. He has a YouTube link in there to the video. That was filmed in 1997, people, one year before Blade came out in theaters and changed live-action superheroes forever. Thank God for that, though I doubt Fire will be getting her own show anytime soon. All right, number two is Pyro. Those X-Men and their love of fire. Pyro is St. John Alderis, a mutant supervillain so cool he got his own story arc in the X-Men movie trilogy. He also got to star in arguably the coolest scene with Magneto in X-Men 2 X-Men United. Ugh, why is that garbled mess the name of the best X-Men film? Anyway, Pyro is an old-school supervillain who spent most of his career pestering the X-Men here and there in one scheme or another. He's got the fun power of being able to sculpt fire, turning flames into fun shapes as opposed to throwing them at people. So at least when he wears a flamethrower on his back, you know he's going to do something special with it. And number one, the number one hero uh, with, uh, you know, is the Human Torch. Uh, Characters don't get much more classic than Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. He's the archetypal hothead youth who loves cars, women, and toasting the bad guys. As a founding member of the Fantastic Four, Johnny's been disappointing his family and getting up to shenanigans since the dawn of the Silver Age. He's also the poster child for keeping your kid away from matches. I've always felt his name could use a little work, but in this day and age... Any name, even remotely fire-related, would come off as horribly cliché. He's going to just have to keep rocking that retro charm, or rocking in general. Have you heard him sing? And then there's another YouTube link. So that's from Henchman for Hire. Interesting stuff. And then in the honor of bringing back this tradition of just reading off lists, uh, Superpower Wiki has uh, fire manipulation uh, listed, which is the power to manipulate fire a variation of elemental manipulation, energy manipulation, uh, also called agenkinesis, fire control, fire bending, flame control, egekinesis, pyrokinesis. Uh, Users can create, shape, and manipulate fire, the rapid oxidation of material in an exothermic chemical process of combustion, releasing heat, light, and various reaction products, flame being the visible portion of fire. Depending on the substances of light, and any impurities outside, the color of flame and the fire's intensity will be different. And here comes a list of tons of stuff. Applications. Generate, create, increase, absorb, shape, and manipulate fire, burn, melt, ultimate burning, incineration, fire attacks, flame solidification, 
pyrokinetic constructs, including weapons, walls, armor, or allies, servants, move, lift, fire, pyrokinetic flight, pyrokinetic surfing, uh, techniques, electrical resistance, fire augmentation, fire aura, fire empowerment, fire mimicry, fire portal creation, fire transmit, fire transformation, fire transmutation, firestorm creation, flame shield, inflammation, oh boy, Maybe that could be sunflower. Inflammation. Oh, I'm so inflamed. Healing fire. Uh, pyrokinetic combat. Pyrokinetic regeneration. Pyroportation. Oh, I guess that's like transportation. Uh, variations. Blue fire manipulation. Cosmic fire manipulation. Dark fire manipulation. Empathetic fire manipulation. Esoteric fire manipulation. Remember that art movie... With the fire guy, and he would, uh, you know, make a fire into teacups, and then the fire would become a teacup or something. And he would, he, he loved to pet donkeys, and then he would read poetry, and then the poetry would remember that. That's, that's such an esoteric, if that's what esoteric means. Explosive fire manipulation, fire embodiment, grand flame manipulation, green flame manipulation. Hellfire manipulation, holy fire manipulation, liquid fire manipulation, psychic flame manipulation, purple fire manipulation, pyric spectrum manipulation, rainbow fire manipulation. This is a double rainbow guy. Maybe he could be another hero. Uh, spiritual flame manipulation. These are some bad. I wouldn't mess with one spiritual flame, holy fire, hellfire. Uh, dark fire, cosmic fire, That's all. those are all bad ideas. White flame manipulation. Uh, we also have associations, ash manipulation, chaos manipulation, earth manipulation, magna manipulation, electricity manipulation, plasma manipulation, holy manipulations, jeez. Elemental manipulation, energy manipulation, fire immunity, thermal resistance, heat manipulation, Ice fire manipulation, molecular acceleration, omni-combustion, smoke manipulation, soot manipulation, spark manipulation. Imagine if you just had ash and soot powers. Yeah, I guess you'd be like, I guess that'd be, uh, well, Dick Van Dyke, did he pass? He passed away because, uh, you know, it would be like uh, that guy, the chimney sweeps. It could be like the greatest chimney sweep. Because you, if you had superpowers, you know, just get the ash and the soot out. Yeah, well, they're going to reboot. Uh, what's um? Well, maybe they're not going to reboot it because it was so hard to make. Well, it was moving on. Uh, emotional manipulation, anger manipulation, love and in- manipulation, lust manipulation, enhanced charisma. I got a fiery personality now. Purification, soil manipulation, summer manipulation. Or as How Howard K would say, summer. Uh, oh boy. Having some problems here, okay. Let's, uh, uh, known users from comics Pyro, Human Torch, Green Goblin, Crystal, Inferno, David Holler, Cindy, Fire, Isis, Lucifer, Morningstar. Elizabeth Sherman, Charlene San Pedro, Ejicano Moy, 
Gilles the Majestic, uh, Portgas de de Ace, Sabo, uh, Fire Release Users, Natsu, Dragil, Bora, Markov, Dayar, Rob, Totomaru, Jaleo Fernandez, Romeo Conbolt, Eisenwald Chicken. Oh, man, there's... Okay, we're going to have to... There's lots of them in mangas that I can't pronounce. Uh, Western Western uh, Film, Meredith Gordon, Flint Gordon, Crowley Brady, Arizel, Christy Jenkins, Tyler Michaels, The Source, P. Russell, Ricky Chadwick, Cecil the Lively, Jesse Piranha, Francis Fuego, Luna Ramundo, Bonnie Bennett, Greta Martin, Jonas Martin, Kylie, Fiona Good, uh, Madison Montgomery, Warren Peace, Lava Girl, Jaden, Takiru Shibu, Sh- Takiru Shiba, Solar Flare, Victor Crane, Mia Horgensen, uh, Infuses, Firebenders, Avatars, Flame Princess, Ember McLean, Lava, Gourmet. Hmm. Uh, what about in literature? In literature, Leo Valdez, Charlie McGee, Emma Bloom, Wizards, and Harry Potter, number four, Rebecca, Adriana Lopez, Josh and Sophie Newman, St. Germain, Prometheus, Users of Fire Magic, Fire Using Vampires, Sam Temple, Gaia, Wistie Allgood, Manfred Bloor, Patrick Donovan, Kirby from Video Games, Delson Rowe, Cole McGrath, Nix, John White the Beast, Blaze the Cat, Ebis, Flare, Princess Elsie, Fire Pokemon, Blaze, Fireman, Heatman, Napalm Man, Flame Man, Blast Man, Charge Man, Magma Dragon, Scorpion, Liu Kang, Taven, Sector, Goro, Shang Tsung, Mario, Luigi, Bowser, Yoshi, Fire Brothers, Fiery Dino Piranha, Wario, Captain Falcon, and the list goes on and on, folks. But uh, that's a little bit about uh, fire manipulation. Uh, when uh, Tormin and the uh, uh, guy from the Pirates movies and uh, the office, is uh, they're grilling Jon Snow. He mentions three castles that are currently inhabited by the, uh, the Night's Watch. Castle Black, which we know, but let's read about it a little bit. Castle Black's the primary headquarters in Redoubt, Redoubt, I don't know if that's the right word, of the Night's Watch. It is located roughly halfway along the length of the wall on its northern side at the northern end of the King's Road. It is a dark and chilling home to its garrison. It's only one of only three castles. There are 19 other castles along the walls, but as their numbers fell over the years, the Night's Watch had to abandon 16 of them. Castle Black is located between the unmanned castles of Queensgate and Oakenshield. Castle Black has a sept, but no godswood. Those who are followers of the old gods of the forest must travel a mile north of the wall into the haunted forest to take their vows before a heart tree. Okay, what about the Shadow Tower? That was one of the other ones John mentioned. The Shadow Tower is a castle on the wall. It is located close to the western end of the wall. At the time of the series, it is one of only three castles that are still manned. 
Corn Halfhand actually uh, lived there. So that's the Shadow Tower. And the other one is East Watch by the Sea, which sounds like a lovely place, you know, to go for a weekend with your uh, lovey dove. Oh, you want to go out to East Watch by the Sea? Turns out it's not so lovely, though. Um. Here's what Tyrion even uh, has a quote. There's a ship leaving for East Watch by the Sea tonight. From there, I'm afraid it's a rather long walk to Castle Black. That's what he says to Yano Slint when he kicks him out. East Watch or East Watch by the Sea is a castle and port located at the far eastern end of the wall, where the wall drops into an inlet of the Shivering Sea called the Bay of Seals. I'd like to see that. I wonder if they've shown that before. Uh, there are more castles on the walls, but we know about that. As the only castle on the wall located on the, on the sea, East Watch serves as a port for the Night's Watch, the capital city of King's Landing, as well as the cities of White Harbor and Gull Town, are also located on the eastern coast of the continent, so it's relatively easy for provisions to reach Night's Watch. So that's cool. So that was a, that's just a little bit about uh, the castles of the Night's Watch. Yeah, I don't know if Airbnb does not have the other ones we could. I'm sure it'd be really expensive to heat. Um, but otherwise, you know, an entrepreneuring person could get those up on Airbnb. I mean, of course, you got the impending trouble coming across the wall. Maybe not. At one point, Rob, towards the end of the episode, he's in a like a uh, his strategy room. He's he's trying to figure stuff out. He's running stuff by his wife, and he's saying, "I don't know what I'm going to do." And then he's like, "Oh, wait a second, maybe I'll attack uh, Lannisport." Is that where he's going to attack some Lannister stronghold? Uh, he, uh, I noticed. I think it was the scene. He's rocking like a David Hasselhoff look. Like almost wearing a medieval members only jacket. He's got the chest hair going. And sure, they, they, maybe they're about to get some romance on, so he's working a little musk action or whatever. But I just said, it, it was like, I was just like, he looks like the, the, the Hasselhoff, the Hoff, they call him. So I had to look up members only jackets because I think, uh, I mean, he, he, was, he was carrying the look. He's obviously a king, a king in the North. He's a you know young handsome man. Uh, I don't know how many people could pull off that look. He did he did a pretty good job of it. Plus he could you know take you out if you say, "My lord, you look like a fool." He'd say, uh, "You know, what are you a car Stark or whatever?" But so unfortunately, I went over. Uh, other than if you want to buy a members only jacket, uh, the depth of like the stuff I'm looking for. Well, ended up at Wikipedia. It says members only is a brand of clothing that came became popular in the 1980s with the members only jacket. The brand was created in 1975 and introduced to American markets in 80 by Europe Craft Imports. Members only jackets were manufactured in a variety of colors. The jackets have epaulets. The advertising tagline was when you put it on. Something happens. That brand got the brand got revived in two thousand three, but that was it about uh, uh, members only jackets. But who was the man that wore? You know the original member, the original 
member of members only was the Hoff, David Hasselhoff. He's somebody I worry about because I can relate to his struggles with alcohol because my my own fool boy. Um, well, let's read about the Hoff. David Michael, uh, David Michael Hasselhoff, born uh, July 17th, 1952. That would make him... What is that? 50 years would be 2060, 63, 62. Wow. Uh, he's an American actor, singer, producer, and businessman known for his lead roles as Michael Knight in Knight Rider and L.A. County lifeguard Mitch Buchanan in Baywatch. Hasloff also produced Baywatch for a number of seasons up until 2001 when the series ended with Baywatch Hawaii. Hasselhoff also crossed over a music career at the end of the 80s and early 90s. He was noted for his performance at the Berlin Wall New Year's Eve 1989. He enjoyed his short-lived success as a singer, primarily in German-speaking Europe. Now, now note, this is uh, Wikipedia. I don't see any notes here, so I don't know. He might be more popular than this is letting on, because I remember him being a short-lived career. I thought he was, like, beloved. Uh, more recently, Hasselhoff has been involved in talent shows. He was eliminated from Dancing with Stars 11th season. He worked on America's NBC, yeah, NBC's America's Got Talent. In 2011, he joined Britain's Got Talent along with Simon Cowell, uh, Amanda Holden, and Michael McIntyre. He appeared in uh, 1989. Marvel Comics movie, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. as the title character, really? And played himself in the 2004 SpongeBob movie, and as well as in Piranha 3DD and Hop. Uh, early life, Hasselhoff was born in Baltimore, Maryland, son of Dolores, a housemaker, and Joseph Vincent Joe, an executive. His father was half German, half Anglo-Irish. His mother was English. His grandmother uh, integrated from, from to Baltimore from Bremen in 1865. He spent his preteen years in Jacksonville, Florida, and later lived in Atlanta, Georgia, where he attended Marist High School. At uh, high school, he was called Hooves, H-O-O-V-E-S. Doesn't say why, though. He graduated from... Uh, uh, Lions Township High School in LaGrange, uh, Illinois. So he's moved a lot. That's tough. He was a member of the speech team, senior discussion, choir, volleyball. He was in plays. He was Matt in the Fantastics. He studied at Bates College and Oakland University and graduated with a degree in theater at the California Institute of the Arts. Uh, early career, he played Dr. William Snapper Foster Jr. on The Young and the Restless from 75 to 82. In 79, he played the role of Simon in Star Crash. He launched his singing career with uh, appearances on the first season of Kids Incorporated, performing Do You Love Me? He guest starred on an episode of Different Strokes as himself in 1984. Knight Rider. Hasselhoff starred in Knight Rider from 82 to 86. He described Knight Rider as more than a TV show. It's a phenomenon. It's bigger than Baywatch ever was. On the success of Knight Rider was because it was about saving lives, not taking lives. Isn't that what lifeguards do? And how one man can really make a difference. We had a blast making it. We made sure nobody died on the show. 
just as we made sure nobody drowned on Baywatch. However, in the pilot, his partner dies in the parking lot. Also, a few, this is like troll trolls. Uh, also, this is just like digging up too many details. He describes the acting he has done as a little more difficult than if you had a regularly well-written script. Like, like if I was going to be in, say, Reservoir Dogs or The Godfather or Dances with Wolves or Lawrence of Arabia or ER, or I had to talk to a car. Uh, German-Austrian popularity while his star status wrote... While his star says rose, fell, and rose again in the U.S., Hasselhoff's popularity endured longer in Germany during the end of the 80s. He had a number one hit in the pop charts in 89, looking for freedom. In 89, he trained with Patsy Swayze, mother of Patrick, at Debbie Reynolds' studio in North Hollywood, California, for the Austrian segment of his Night Rider tour. Baywatch, Hasselhoff returned to television on Baywatch in 89. Although it was canceled after one season, he believed the series had potential, so he revived it in first-run syndication market in 91, investing his own money and functioning as executive producer. His contract stipulated royals be paid to him from the rerun profits, which gave him the financial liberty to buy back the rights to Baywatch from NBC. In his second incarnation, it was much more successful, ran in, in, in syndication for 10 seasons. It also received, well, internationally and has been shown in 140 countries around the world. According to the Guinness Book, it's the most watched TV show in the world, having 1.1 billion viewers. Hasselhoff on the appeal of Baywatch. I believe the camera photographs your aura. It also photographs your heart, and I cast Baywatch that way. If you look at Baywatch, just about everybody on that show, even Pamela Anderson, has got a great heart. That success of that show says he's very wealthy. 91, he reprised his role as Michael Knight for Knight Rider 2000, a sequel. It served as a pilot, but despite the high ratings, the plan was abandoned. In 94, he was scheduled before pay-per-view in Atlantic City, but it was on the night uh, O.J. ran in the police chase in California. In 96, he was given a star on Hollywood Walk of Fame. In 897, he did a duet with a famous Filipino singer, Regine Velasquez, which he used as a main theme for his 98 movie of Legacy. He made his Broadway debut in 2000 in the title role of Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, he's made a lot of uh, self Parodic, parodic, parado, parodic, like par his parody of himself in a lot of different movies. Uh, this is interesting. 2006, Hasselhoff returned to the spotlight after he was mentioned in an interview with Dirk Nowitzki, an NBA star playing for the Dallas Mavericks and a native of Germany. Nowitzki asked what it, he does to concentrate when shooting foul shots. He replied, sings looking to freedom to himself. He meant this as a joke, according to Wikipedia, but it was thought to be a serious answer. Shortly thereafter, Hasselhoff attended a game where they faced the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference Finals. Interviewed by Craig Sager, Hasselhoff stated he was such a fan of Nowitzki, and Nowitzki was a fan of him. In 2006, fans of Miami Heat held up photos 
of Hasselhoff and chanted his name when Vitsky went to the foul uh, line. And there's a lot more modern stuff that uh, isn't too, isn't, you know, is uh, a lot of not nice stuff in there. And a lot of, uh, you know, trying stuff out. It seems like he's probably going through a difficult time. So let's just remember him in his members-only jacket, much as Rob was trying to remember, invoking his aura, his heart, and his spirit, and his chest hair. Which, I mean, honestly, there's not a lot of people that can rock chest hair like that and look cool, which I think Hoff and Rob managed to do. So that's David Hasselhoff. Okay, there's a song sung in this episode, and the name of the song is It's Always Summer Under the Sea, and it's sung by uh, Stannis' daughter. It's sung or made up by Stannis' daughter, uh, Shireen. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it, but she sings it, uh, and it's, uh, It's Always Summer Under the Sea. I know, I know, oh, oh, oh. The birds have scales and the fish take wing, I know. I know, oh, oh, oh. The rain is dry and the snow falls up, I know. I know, oh, oh, oh. The stones crack open, the water burns. The shadows come to dance, my lord. The shadows come to play. The shadows come to dance, my lord. The shadows come to stay. And that's uh, by uh, Stance's daughter, who's played by Carrie Ingram, who, who is a, uh, sings the full song in a much beautiful way. Then I just did it, but uh, it turns out she's an accomplished singer, according to Game of Thrones Wikia, and she was on the, uh, before she started Game of Thrones, she was in the uh, stage musical Matilda. So, and I really like her. She likes The Onion Knight. I like The Onion Knight. I mean, I think if you guys ever wonder, hey, what's what's Drew Scooter like? I'd say The Onion Knight is someone... Um, Maybe I'm not quite like him. I'd like to be like him. I don't think I'm as brave as him or as much of a truth teller. Maybe I am. But I'm definitely that, I have that awkward oddness that he has. And children seem to like me a lot much more than adults. I get way along way better with them. And I get a lot of looks like Stannis gives him. You know, he's always given, he's like, oh boy, that guy. Except they're best, I mean, they're kind of best friends. And that's another reason I can't wait for season five to start to see what's up with Stannis and the Onion Knight. And so, well, okay. Hello, hello, this is Tommen, Lord Tommen, Prince Tommen. But most of all, you know me. You come, you've come to, I've come to win your hearts by merely having the greatest honor a boy could ever possibly have to be the best friend of Sir Pounce. And he has been, so some well, that do not like to but say saddled, but I would say graced or kissed by fire, fiery friendship of Tommen. He's my best friend, I'm his best friend, he's Sir Pounce, I'm Sir Tommen. And we're here to talk to you about uh, the, the world, not a, a, a continent, 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 or continent. We're here to talk to the world for the podcast man. He said, he says, oh, it's fiction time. Fiction time. Time for me to stretch a tail. But don't worry, Sir Pounce, not your tail. Tommen would never stretch the tail of an animal. 
What do insects have tails for? Well, I've stared at an insect and I've said, well, oh, but uh, so I was going to tell you, so there's a, uh, Another t title I've been thinking about giving, attaining is like uh, Master Kelper, or Tommen. What do you what do you think about that? Or Kelp King, Tommen, Mister Kelpelina is another one. I say, oh well, uh, uh, Pounce Kelpelina's home. Time to get uh, the uh, giant. I tried filling things in my room. They said, what are you doing? Why? What is this? I said I'm preparing for a couple, well, for one day. My, I, I'm trying to fill my room with water. Is what I'm doing. Well, why would you would uh, said to prepare for Kelpalina? What is a Kelpalina? And I said, Mother, it's, it's, uh, I can no longer just be your boy. I have dreamed of a woman in blue, and she said, Who is this woman? Why well, said? She said, I got your hands full with your brother and this Marjorie. Oh, wait, a Mujerai. No, it was a fictional woman, fictional mother. Well, no, if I had a fictional mother, well, I couldn't have Kelpalina because of the feelings. I, I don't know. But I said, so I tried to fill my room to Pip, and then the, the, the pod man said, well, come to my place, you know, till things, because everybody, I don't know, so I... And then I went through, he's got a freezer, freezer. And I see, he said, I'll be right back, don't touch anything. So as soon as I said, What's, what is this? It's like I opened it and inside was a brick of kelp. And I said, what is this? And I took it out. I said, I said, this is kelp in here. And I said, no. And I threw myself on the ground. I said, oh, I cried. And then the brick, it was uh, cold against my skin before I put it in my, um, not in my pants, no. But that does hurt. Um, and, it, and then he came home, he said, that, I said, why, what is this? I shook it in his face. Do you understand I am a prince? You Is this proof you have wed Kelpalina, you, she sends you? And I said, that's, that's, he said, it's spinach, Tommen. It is different than kelp. It grows on the land. Kelp is the spinach of the sea. And I, he said, and then I, he said, I, I started screaming. He said, why don't you make a, a miniature kelpalina out of this? So I did. I crafted her. And he, he said, he said, you know, uh, you, you know, I could give you some glue. And he said, this is the kind of glue. He goes, Tom, and I was once like you, this pod man said. And he said, this is glue. You can mix it with the spinach and make a kelpalina that will stand, a little statue of her. But also, if I, uh, I don't supervise you properly and you drink this glue, you will not be hurt. But don't drink it because, you know, it costs money, he said. And I said, okay, well. And I said, tell me more about this drinking of glue. You have drank glue, sir. And he said, yes, he said, and we sat around. And the two of us sipped at the bottle of glue. He sat down and he said, let's go under the table here, his kitchen table. We put the uh, kelpalina, the spinach, on a plate. And I mushed it and I squeezed it and we mixed the glue and then we would sip at the glue. And I said, are we friends? And he said, we are, we are friends, I think, Tom, and I like you. 
but I mean, you know, it would be a strange friendship to have trans. I think he called it a trans meridian or something. And the whole time Sir Pounce was sleeping, he said, I said, Sir Pounce must like you. And I said, I think he said, he said, he thinks Sir Pounce tolerates him because he said, him and cats, he's allergic. And sometimes, you know, cats and him don't get along. And I said, well, and I said, so they made this glue just for you. And I said, he said, no, Tom. And he said, once I was a boy like you. And he said, Tom, and have you, how many times have you eaten something you're not supposed to? And I said, I don't know, because I cannot count. I said, many times I've eaten, they said, you know, they said they put extra locks on the maester's chambers to keep me from there. But I've gone to the cleaning facilities. And he said, well, one day, Tom, and lucky you live back then, for now they have many new chemicals and many new dangers. And he said, you know, when I was a boy like you, Tom, and I would eat everything, and this glue... It is called non-toxic, for there are many other children that like to drink glue. Before my time, Tom, and I think they had uh, glue that was not healthy for children to drink. But now, like, and then I said, is this going to glue our insides? And he said, I don't know, Tom, and that's, and we laughed. And I, he said, oh, I'm glued up, Tom, and can you help me? And I said, oh, no, I'm too glued. And then we woke up, Pounce, and he said, right around. And I said, Sir Pounce, and then he said, I said, tell me more about this glue trouble. And he said, Tom, and I would not eat just glue. Sometimes I would eat dioramas. And I said, what is a diorama? And then we talked under this table, and he said, it's made of Play-Doh. And I said, I would like some of this Play-Doh. And he said, well, this Kelpolina, this is kind of like a spinach glue Play-Doh. But then we made some of this Play-Doh. Play-Doh, I love to say Play-Doh, Play-Doh, Play-Doh. And I said, even me and Sir Pounce were playing with the Play-Doh. He would pat it, he would lick it. Sir Pounce likes to lick the Play-Doh before it dries. But we made it, we, me and this uh, Podman made some uh, figures, uh, the sea monkey men uh, that were like, and then Kelpolina was... Uh, was blasting them with a staff I gave her before our wedding called the Staff of uh, Painful Memories. And she said, you will take this memory from my husband, Tommen, forever. And she would, you know, and they would say, no, this is too traumatic for me. My mind cannot understand. Um, oh, what do I think I drifted away there? Uh, so the pot man, he said, he said, he said, and I said, what would happen to you when you ate these Play-Dohs? Because we were eating, we built them, and then we ate them. And I said, this does not taste good. And he said, yes, but if you're not allowed to eat it, it's tempting for me to eat. And then he told me about this thing called school, school he had. And at his school, he said that he would go and learn, but he said there was many sad memories there because he said the teachers would scream at him, much like me. They would say, why did you eat that? Why? What is wrong with you? And he, I said, what a teacher. So a teacher is like your mother. Does she uh, spend too much time with your uncle? And he said, no, no, Tom. And I, I did not, it took a while. I did not understand many, but as far as I could tell, it was like an adult, 
a maesta, basically, that makes you learn, but he would learn with other common children. The pot man is a commoner. He smells a bit like uh, a, uh, a, 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 a commoner. You say, say, oh, what are you, a, a out-of-work soldier? And I, he says, well, thank you, Tom, and no, but I could, uh, you know, I could probably be to beat you in a fight. And then Sir Pounce, and he says, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But what was my point? So I said, well, tell me at the school, you told me the kids could be mean. And I said, meaner than Joff? He said, well, not quite. He said, but well, some. And so then I dreamed, I, that night I dreamed of me and Sir Pounce and the, the pod man. And the pod man was a boy. But Sir Pounce and I flew across the land of dreams by the power, of course, of Capolina's love, which causes me to my stomach to inflate and and my um my uh, testes, the maester calls and blow up like a a tickling balloon, and I fly through the sky, and Sir Pounce flies with me. He has, doesn't have coupling his powers, but I don't know. And I said, we are going to find the pod man and help him through this dream to his childhood. Uh, and we found the common school. And the children were my age. They were playing. And, and they said, I saw them. They were going to play a game. And they were picking the children. And the pod man, he was a very small lad. Looked like a, a one of the lower commoners. I'll be honest, he was skinny he had uh, a face stain on his face. I said, "What is on your face, Podman? Do you remember me, Tom?" And he said, "What? Why you got? Why? What's that cat doing at school?" And I said, "Well, I'm here to uh, help you." What is that on your face? He said, "It's a Kool-Aid stain, semi-permanent Kool-Aid stain." And I said, "Hmm." And he said, "What are you?" And they were picking. He said, "What are you?" I said, "What is happening?" He said, "Picking sides for dodgeball." And I said, what is this dodgeball? And he said, I'm having a flash forward. And I said, you remember me, Kelpolina's uh, ray of passionate uh, help. I'm here on Kelpolina's, you know, to impress her. I'm going to go back and tell her how I helped you so she will love me. And he said, well, I'm so, he was very skinny and smaller than the other kids and then he, I, I, he said, I, we did not get picked, Tom. And, and then so Pounce was already out on the, they had two sides. And all the children had these red balls. And so Pounce screeched. And I had never heard that screech before. And all the children looked. And they said, what is that? And they, a couple of the kids that seemed like Joff threw balls at so Pounce. And so Pounce darted away. And then stared at the boys and then looked at us. And they looked at the boys, and they said, "Oh, the little boy that was said mean things to me in the in the pod man." And Saban said, "Rah rah," and uh, he said, "Oh, the cat and his two 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 kittens want to play." Uh, this was the meanest boy. His name was uh, Baloko Bala Balashan. I don't know something. Bull bull boy bull boy. And he and it was me and the pot boy and Sir Pounce, and then a couple other kids was that were they had these uh these things on their face they called them four eyes they said oh bring the four eyes with you, and it was like he had glass uh, windows on his uh do we have windows I don't know. 
but he had windows, magnifying windows on his face. And then they, I said, well, what is this dodgeball game? We're supposed to help you with your trauma, to de-trauma ray you. And I, he said, you guys should better. And then whoosh, a ball flew by my face. And then boom, another one hit my face. And my ear stung. But inside, usually I would cry or scream. I felt something triggered by Kelpolina, which I have seen my father father uh, occasionally turned to rage. And I grabbed a ball and I threw it at a boy and it hit him in the stomach and he said, Whoa. And they said, you can't do that, you're out. And I said, I'm a prince. I do as I wish. And they said, what is what? And they started throwing balls and we were throwing balls. And Sapunce was popping balls. And many, and they said, well, you can't, no, no hitting in the head. And I said, you hit me in my face. You are lucky I don't have you drawn and corded. And the pot boy, he was not very good at throwing. I throw much harder than him. I hit many more people than him. So I said, why don't you not play and just be me and pounce. Pounce dodges the balls. I catch them and throw them. You just, he said, that's, I thought that's why you were, schoolyard pick, you were supposed to pick me. And I said, I, I have four eyes is much faster than you. You are so small when the balls hit you, you, you fly. And Sapounce gave me this look like, what the hell are you doing, Tom? And how is Kipoli never going to love you? I got that all from a look from Sapounce. And I said, come join us, Podman. And we played this dodgeball and we hit many people with the balls. And I was mad with uh, both the rage and the anger and the throwing and the hitting. But it was not like there was no no one came yelling, what are you doing, Tom? And when the game was over, the kids, they said, wow, you guys are crazy. That was a crazy game of dodgeball. What do you guys call yourselves? And I said, uh, Team Kelpolina. Uh, we, we are the Kelp boys, the Kelpoliners. And they said, okay, well, uh, we'll see you around, I guess. And I don't know. I, then I said, well, I got to fly back to uh, me and Sapunce got to get going, pot boy. Good luck with your game. And so we returned to uh, our world and uh, this present world. And I said, well, one day I'll whisper that to Kelpolina, how I, uh, I don't know what we did. I felt heroic, I tell you, that I must get this dodgeball, uh, but they don't let me out of my room, of course. So I've been throwing my pillows, and even Sapounce, he said, I tried to throw one at Sapounce. He said, no, 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 Tom, we are friends, we are best friends, we, we're on the same team. So I don't know. It's not a very great. Uh, I I was just trying to share the nice thing. I said, "Well, Kepelin is going to want to know what nice things I did." I figured that out on my own. So that's one. I'm going to impress her. What flowers would you bring to a woman that lives under the sea? Will she? Uh, because I have no scales. Will Will that? Does she have a bow that is covered in scales? And fins, for I could, I, I could, I could, uh, could, you know, two of my toes are stuck together. No one knows that. Mother said, never show anyone my toes. 
They say the webbed toes, webbed toes. So I figure that is good for me and Capelina. Um And our children... I, I, I still don't understand any of that, but it is feelings I feel. I'm beginning, I think I am becoming a man because when I threw that dodgeball and I hit that boy and I said, Plap, I felt like the hound for once in my life. For, one, for once in my life, I felt good. But then the boy was not hurt, so I did not feel bad. I said, He said, Wow. I mean, at first they were mad, but then they realized no rules, dodgeball, they called it. And I, I never got upset. I said, wow, this is... So I would like to go to school. I think I would do great in school. I would do... I would have the best friends. People would be like, look at that guy with his cat. He talks to his cat. He dreams of a woman in the kelp forest and being with her uh, alone forever. You know, his best friend's a cat. He is uh, shaped like a pear-like shape that is just so... So I think I was, school is the thing for me, you know. I think, and, and poor uh, pod boy, I don't know how he would do. But me, I'd be like the uh, Jack of uh, Jack of uh, Jack of Joes or whatever they would say. Here comes Tom and, and Pounce, look out. Holy macaroni. Everybody loves those guys at our school of schools. They're drinking glue and eating Play-Doh and, you know, ball in the dodges. So that's a fantasy of mine. First, Kelpolina was school. I don't know. But that's, I don't know what I'm talking about tonight, but I just wanted to share that with you. Because I like the bad man, but he's, you know, a sad little man. He's not little, he's actually bigger than me. Well, taller than me, not bigger, wider. He's not wider. But I'm not that wide. They say, Mother says I'm husky. And they say, well, they said, is that it? You're using your shaming voice, Mother, but husky sounds good, like a good thing. And she says, oh, you, no more sweets. Anyway, so that's a tale of Sir Pounce and Tommen and Podman, Dodgeball and Capelina's love. Okay. Talk to you soon. Okay, it's time for my prayers. Crone, sweet, sweet crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester. It's me, your servant, your earthly servant, planet Earth. Uh, Praying in. Well, gods, you know, I don't know how well that uh, discussion went last week about walking or some unintended uh, stuff that got brought up. By now, my mother might have heard that stuff, and I'll probably be grounded, which would be, I don't know how she's, well, I'm going to visit her in a couple weeks. God, you better keep an eye on her. Uh, But, you know, I got to, but she could still ground me or, you know, shame. Oh, my son, why did you say that on the podcast? Oh, um. So I don't need to be giving anybody any palpitation. So I was like, "How? what are we going to talk about this week? What am I going to prayer it up to the gods? Give them the earthly, I don't have earthly wisdom, God, but earthly information. I've been trying to teach about my, my planet planetary situation. And as you guys may or may not remember, last night we watched uh, Snowpiercer for the second time. Of course, I didn't hear from you guys. I don't know. When I went to the bathroom, though, the popcorn was gone, Barky. 
there was a leaf in the bottom of the pop popcorn bowl. So I don't know if it was you or one of your friends or you, you know, you have control, like you guys are like one species, one organism spiritually. I don't know how that works with you trees, but it's, you know, it's your business. But that was my popcorn. It would have been nice to at least hear. Which is, so I was like, hey, I'll pray about Snowpiercer. And I said, well, whoa, 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 wait a second. Uh, Crone, you had to put her through the porn last week. And the grape nuts, you know, she was probably planning on eating some grape nuts when she got to Earth. So I figured, I said, okay, well, Snowpiercer, what else am I going to talk to them about? Yeah, you know, if I tried to pick something inane, like walking blew up on me. So and I said, well, I could probably say, you know, Snowpiercer is so much to talk about, such a such a brave, wonderful movie. But then I remembered something from earlier this week. Pitchfork reviewed uh, physical graffiti of Led Zeppelin album, 40 years old this week. And I was like listening to it a few times. And I was just fantasizing what it would be like to be a teenager listening to that when it first came out. What, what they might, I mean, mind-blowing. So I figured, you know, every song is a prayer. Every copyright is something I cannot violate. But what if I uh, pray, I listen, you guys won't be able to hear it, gods, but you can hear it because, you know, every prayer is, a, every song is a prayer. The silver tone taught me that. He said a prayer for me to stop talking because he was trying to do a show in the audience. And I kept going, Zofdone, Zofdone. And he said, this is a jazz jazz concert uh, scooter. That was a dream, though, so that didn't really happen. I mean, it could, probably will. But, I'm, you know, guys, I'm always trying to figure out a way to make my prayers more powerful so they actually, you know, uh, result. You know, I know prayers aren't results-based, but... I figured experimental prayers can't really go, you know, if I, my regular prayers, well, I guess they've all been experimental because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. When the seven hell, excuse me, when the seven hells I'm doing. So I figured I'd kick a little Zep on, they call it Zep, and uh, pray to that while I listen, at least God's, and you will listen. So here we go. Is, uh, okay. I got to turn it down so it doesn't. Hey, gods, this is me praying. Mm -mm. Yeah, I'm praying to you, gods. And I'm praying. Okay, that didn't work. So here it goes, gods. I'm praying. I'm jazzing it up because I'm thinking you guys are great. So great, I'm bobbing my head saying, yeah, gods. Uh, yeah, the gods are great. Gods are great. Crone, Miller, Smith. Barky, Jester, Smith. I wanted. I took you guys to the movies, you know, when you didn't say anything. I'd like to take you to the shore, get our feet wet, you know, gods, because you're truly my gods, the best. Hey, Crone. Hey, Crone. Hey, Crone. Yeah. Um. Hey, gods. You know, thinking about you guys. You guys are like a guitar in my ear, Jimmy Page. Thinking uh, you guys are the best, you know. But I don't know what house you live in. Is your house holy? You know, do you, would you guys watch me like when I toilet paper stuff? I don't know how else is going, gods. But hey, I want to say let's go and gardens grow. 
Hey, Crone, what's up with you? That's my favorite part, Crone. When I say, hey, Crone, oh, I'm, I'm missing it. It's like a guitar solo, I think. Well, anyway, guys, this is rock and roll. Crone, you're probably covering your ears. You know, it was like, are you guys sitting on my shoulders watching everything, listening to these tunes? They don't call them tunes anymore, gods. But, the, you know, you guys planted the seeds of love deep inside me. You know, Crone? You know, Crone? I don't know, guys. This is not a... feels blasphemous cause to, for Led Zeppelin, not for you guys, because uh, this is not a... I wonder if I turned up what happened, gods. Crone, do you get dizzy when you're high? They say the music's my master. And I need to hear the call, gods. Maybe that's what I've been missing out on is heeding your call, crone. Like spiders on a dime. But, you know, you know, you know, gods. You know I'm praying to you, gods. Mm. But there's no use in trying to blaspheme. Because, you know, I'm already mad with praise. Does it hurt when I sing to you, Crone? These are the only words I know how to pray. Pray to you all, but hey, praying to you, Crone. Oh, sweet Crone. Hey, gods, I'm praying. Hey, gods, I'm praying. Hey, gods, I'm praying. Uh. Guys, where were you last night when we were watching Snowpiercer? I put it up, I turned it up, I turned it up. What did you think about the guy from uh, Winter Soldier? Was he badass or what? Was he the coat and the hat, the beard? What did you think, Crone? I don't know how this prayer is going, gods, because I got something in my other ear. And I kind of feel like almost like Crone-like and say, what? Did somebody say something? Oh, is this, uh, oh, yeah, Crone? Hey, Crone, what happened to those boots I prayed about, you know? Those boots I prayed about, the boots I prayed about, the boots I prayed about. Oh. Hey, gods, where's my stuff? Okay, gods, I stopped it there. That's the end of the song. Taking my ear thing out, I don't know. Uh, that was called Houses of Holy by Led Zeppelin. Uh, Physical Graffiti, gods, that's an album, music. Yeah, rock and roll. England's crate uh, was the cradle of rock and roll for Zeppelin, Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones English? That's a good question. I don't know. And uh, the Beatles. But they had, had all these American influences on their music, uh, especially African American influences from uh, the wonderful music of America. And uh, they weaved it all together into, you know, stuff that was pretty loud, electrically driven music. I don't know. So I don't know, guys. I, at least I didn't embarrass myself and talk about I Maybe I did because I, I couldn't hear what I was sounding like when I was saying I was going to do In the Light, too. Maybe I should just do that. In the light. Hey, crone. Hey, crone. I'm not listening to it, so maybe better. If you're, if I'm praying to you, I will pray to the crone. I will pray to the crone. 
Uh, if I pray, it won't be just to the Chrome, though, God. It's all of you and all of, all of you. Uh, and then at some point it goes like, the Miller, the Smith, and Barky, and Jester, I pray to thee. It's better, I guess, if I don't listen to it. I pray to you, hey, all you gods. I pray to you, cause you all rock. You gods, you came to earth, you didn't know. The rules are called, sure what to show. So I told you about walking last week, and then I spilled the beans about porn and grape nuts. And then God, there's like, I don't know if, I, I don't read a lot about music theory. But this song and some of the other songs, I feel like they have like a little axe, A-C-T-S, A-C, like Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. So there's like the first part where I say, and the crony crone, and then there's that part, Bada. and then there's this part, uh, you gods, I said, hey, what's up? I'm trying to teach you about Zeppelin, hey, gods, I bound, get ready. Bye-bye, hey, gods. I'm gonna give you a super prayer right now. Oh, I miss it. Uh, hey, in the God, praising to the gods. Everybody praise the gods. Do, do, do. No, no, I lost the gods, huh? In the gods, everybody praying the gods. Bang. I guess because I'm not a musician, but it goes like into this. By God, I can't go that high. Gods, everybody praying to the gods, old and new. Oh, those are gods, but not that evil Lord of Light. Even though the sun's called in the light, we don't pray to that Lord of Light. We don't like demon childs. Hey, gods, hey, gods. I don't know, gods. So it's experimental prayer. Everybody prays to the gods. Oh, wait, no, only I pray to you. Praying to the gods old and new. Only I'm praying to you. But you don't give me no boots. Hey, gods, hey, gods, something like that. I don't know if I was listening to be even more confusing because then I was trying to, be trying to sing, talk, but listen to the music. I was debating it, gods, and so it might have ruined Houses of the Holy. But, um, oh, wait, and then there's like, hey, wait a lot of, hey, gods. I don't know. I don't have the voice to carry it out or, you know, they're not, I'm not having guitars and drums and bass laying it laying it down. But, you know, I just, you know, it's like I like you guys so much. I wanted to give you something new. Uh, and maybe I should have talked about Snowpiercer Gods, but that was like, it's tough to even. What do you think about the schoolroom scene, Gods? Did you, like, Gods, were you trying to, did you suspend your disbelief? Because... Uh, you needed to remember. I said, "All right, everybody, let's put on our imaginary hats of suspension of disbelief." And I said, "Crone, I don't want to hear you sigh." Remember that, Crone? I said, "No sighing." And then I reminded you at each train part, 
I said, when we go into the next train, no sighing. You know, this is fun. Just immerse yourself, Crone. You could do it. But then I forgot about that early on the scene, the battle scene. So I was like, oh, boy, Crone's out. So that's why I didn't really talk about it. But what a movie. I love that movie, God. Oof. Uh, I got to tell you, the, the vision, the mind behind that. And again, I talked about it a long time back. Just the courage to make a movie so different. I mean, similar to some movies in the last 30, 40 years. But uh, I don't know. And then I have all the wonderful casting. I'm big on casting gods. And they really nailed it out of the park on this one. So, you know, just something I appreciate. Plus, it distracts you from how I botched the uh, singing prayer, the Zeppelin prayer. But, you know, guys, I want to send a big Zeppelin. Zeppelins used to be an airship, which was like, uh, you guys don't even have balloons. It's really hard sometimes to explain. No wonder I get distracted and start talking about my personal problems. But a Zeppelin is like a, um, hmm, like, is there a bird? Isn't there a bird that, like, fills itself with air? When it panics, you guys know what a, what is that fish called? Blowfish gods? It's like a blowfish in the air with a little thingamajig and you fly around. But then at some point they made them with uh, um, hydrogen, which is an explosive. So that's, I don't know what they were thinking, to be honest. Uh, I mean, again, I don't want to. You know, make it seem like I'm the only sensible person in the history of in the history of humankind. But I was like, why didn't they call me? I guess my DNA wasn't even uh, existing yet. But you know, say, hey, we're thinking about building these giant airships full of hydrogen, very explosive material, but floats lighter than air. So we weighed the uh, pros and cons of it and said, hey, why not? It's a uh, inexpensive, you know, we want to, I guess it goes to Icarus, guys. We were always trying to be uh, Kid Icarus. What was his name? Or was he the kid? Who was his dad? His dad was uh, not Telemachus. I don't know. It'll come to me, gods. At some point, well, wasn't he, was he the dude that designed the maze? I think he was. But, you know, Icarus flew too close to this. Well, you don't know about it. Anyway, guys, I got to go. I tried, I tried, and it's just my, my constant attempts to praise you, praise your sweet, sweet name, sweet crone, sweet, sweet crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester. You might notice I haven't talked about the maiden since you, I, I mean, obsessively talked about the maiden since uh, you guys uh, came to my world. Uh, it was, a, I, I, you know, not, don't worry, maiden, I don't get any... Uh, don't worry, I, I I did forget about you, but only went because you weren't in the light. Why doesn't the maiden step in the light? Hey maiden, what's up with you, maiden? So yeah, that's uh, that's it. Oh, there's cowbell in one of those two songs too. I think houses. Dizzy when you stoned just in one ear, God. So you got to listen to these things with headphones on. All right, I'm going to check out. All right, good night, God's.